This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, of the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Buka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 121 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have a folk tale about a matriarch trying to defend her home against witches. This is the story of the witch horns. But first, I want to give a very big welcome to any new listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, I don't head back right to the very beginning, 120 episodes and over two and a half years ago, and to see what we've been building up to over the journey of Fireside so far. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. Please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bar. That's the best place to say hello or get in touch. Uh, email me at thefiresidebar at gmail.com if you're not on Instagram. And if you really want to support this podcast and join the intimate community of Fireside, you can do so by supporting over on Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for joining for a minimum of five euro a month, but you can pay whatever you want if you want to pay more, you can gain access to bonus episodes and material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the Headstuff podcasts. That is therefore if you want. Um, and I want to give a thank you to the latest supporters over on Headstuff Plus. I don't think there's any new ones for this week, but the latest six from the last couple of weeks have been Matthew Hill, Elizabeth Frizz, Dara Courtney, Kevin Magner, Shane Grogan, and Philip Kyo. Thank you so much to you and all of the other Headstuff Plus podcast supporters. And a thank you also to those still supporting over on the Patreon, the three most recent, Kelly McDonald, Gretchen Ingram, and Ray. Thank you so much. I'm sure you're catching up still because I am going to keep the Patreon open for all those who are already supporting over on it because I appreciate your support so much. And for those listening back to Fireside from the beginning because we have found that uh, the people do tend to listen to this from the beginning, which is really nice because particularly with the myths, we are we have built a kind of chronology and... I like to think the podcast has grown and gotten better and that my storytelling and my writing in it has has been honed throughout it. Um, so it's really great to see that people do listen and do do go back to the beginning. So thank you so much to each of you. Uh, join me on Poetry Day Ireland on the 29th of April over for an Instagram live on myth in Irish poetry. I'm going to be doing... Uh, a session of of poetry readings, both my own and some of the great ones from throughout Irish poetry and the history of Irish poetry. And I'm going to be playing some songs and some traditional Irish tunes. 
I'm going to be doing that. Excuse me, my recorder just slipped and fell. I'm looking forward to it. I've never done an Instagram live before. I'm looking forward to doing another live event, even if it is virtual, because it's a thing I've wanted to do for a while to explore uh, the the map, map to map the journey of mythology throughout Irish poetry, because they are intrinsically linked. We wouldn't have these myths without the earliest poets, and kind of vice versa. I suppose if the po- earliest poets didn't have these myths to write about, you know, would poetry have developed as early and as sophisticated as it did? We'll find out all that and more and hopefully just have a nice intimate time. You can check in and out if you want or it'll be stay up on Instagram Live and then I'm going to take the audio from it and release it as a bonus episode over on Headstuff Plus so any of the supporters over there who are not on Instagram can listen to it there. The story for this week is a story I actually discovered a few years ago, right in the very the very earliest days of the podcast. The story for this week is a story I found quite a few years ago, actually, back in the very early days. I remember the first time I read it was on the bus in America when I was over there with Celtic Knights in early 2019. It was a story I really liked the, the character of. I'd never quite encountered characters and a story quite like it but at the time I read it I didn't know if there was enough quite for a whole episode or I didn't really like the turn in it and didn't think that it kind of had a narrative satisfaction to it but when I revisited it when I happened to be revisiting the book that I found that in and that I had taken quite a few other stories from over the course of Fireside I found I really liked it and I got an aspect of it I hadn't got on the first reading, which really made it click into place for me. And we'll talk a bit more about it as always, but this is the story of the witch horns on Fireside. Witch horns. Once there was a very rich woman and usually she was the last one in her household left awake at night. When her husband, children and servers were all sound asleep, the rich woman would stay up and she would sit by the great hellish fireplace, carding and preparing wool. The woman enjoyed the late time to herself and found the act of carding wool quite therapeutic. But one night, the rich woman's meditative practice was rudely disturbed by a knock at the door. It was very late, far too late for visitors, but such was the frantic quality of the knocking. It sounded like an emergency, and the woman went to the door and asked, Who is it? I am the witch with one horn. Let me in. There isn't much time. The mistress could not quite hear through the thick wood of the door, but recognized the urgency in the woman's voice, and crucially, that it was a woman's voice. So the mistress opened the door, and there stooped a wretched old woman, heavily cloaked with one long horn protruding from her forehead. The horned woman held a wool card in her hand, and the moment the threshold was cleared, the witch did not even acknowledge the lady of the house before barging past and setting up shop by the fireside. The mistress marched up to the horned woman and asked her who she thought she was. 
Excuse me, but you can't just barge in here unannounced, uninvited, and start preparing wool. But the Witch of the One Horn merely replied, Where are the others? It's getting late. Witches, after all, famously like meeting very late at night and are notoriously punctual. Before the mistress could get used to her new house guest, there was another knock at the door. Who is it? she asked. Open up, came a muffled cry through the door. The mistress had not learned her lesson yet. She opened the door, and there stood a woman, very similar to the first, apart from one crucial difference. Who are you? the mistress asked. I am the Witch of Two Horns, was the reply. The Witch of Two Horns held a large spinning wheel in her hand, which she picked up, carried past the mistress, and set up beside the Witch of the One Horn. As baffled and annoyed as she was, the woman of the house could only marvel at the fervent pace with which the two horned witches wove and spun wool. Then there was another knock, and another. In fact, this happened another ten times. The mistress would answer the door, and there would be a witch standing there with some means of spinning instrument and an increasing number of horns. Finally, there were twelve witches. The first with one horn, the last with twelve, all by the fireside, weaving, spinning, and singing an ancient rhyme, something hypnotic, at least to the lady of the house, who soon felt powerless to object or even speak. Never did a single witch announce their plan, or intention, or why this great weaving session must take place in this particular abode on this particular night. The longer the spinning camp went on, the deeper under the spell the mistress felt. The Witch of Seven Horns spoke to the woman of the house at last when she demanded, We grow hungry. Make us a cake. The lady of the house searched for a receptacle to fetch water from the well to make this cake, but could only find a sieve. She tried to tell the witches this much, but the reply was simply, Take that sieve to the well and fetch water for the cake. So the mistress went to the well with her sieve, and wouldn't you know it, try as she might, the water would not hold. Overwhelmed by the whole situation, the woman sat by the well and began to cry. It is over the echoed sounds of her own tears that the woman began to hear a voice. Disembodied and ethereal, it was the voice of the spirit of the well. Take lumps of clay and plaster the sieve. Then it will hold water. This said the spirit of the well in a voice of life-affirming encouragement. This the woman did, and it worked. But before the woman could return to the house, the voice gave another and some would say a far more practical piece of advice. Return to your home, but before you enter, cry aloud three times, the mountain of the Fenian women and the sky over it is all on fire. For all the mistress knew, the horned witches were the good ones, and the disembodied voice of the well was evil. But she also wanted those witches out of her house. So with her sieve full of water, the woman returned home and cried aloud, The mountain of the Fenian women and the sky over it is on fire! The mountain of the Fenian women and the sky over it is on fire! 
The mountain of the Fenian women and the sky over it is on fire. When the witches inside heard these cries, they all left their spinning posts and began to panic and shriek. They all emerged from the house and took flight off in the direction of Shlevenamon, the mountain in question, and their ancestral home. Once the witches were gone, the spirit of the well spoke to the woman of the house again, and gave her the instructions to defend her home from ever having witches enter it again. First, the mistress took a basin, which held water which had been used to wash the feet of the children. She sprinkled it around the entire threshold of the house, for the witches could not cross innocent feet water. She then found a cake that the witches had somehow made in her absence, but instead of water, they had used blood and bile for the mixture, which they had taken from the sleeping residents of the house who were all still somehow asleep. The mistress took the cake, crumbled it up, and placed bits in the mouths of each of the sleeping residents, her husband, children, and servants. Finally, and for good measure, the woman of the house took a great wooden crossbeam and barricaded the doors shut. Her defences fortified, the woman awaited the witch's return. Return the witches did, all twelve of them, at all seventy-eight of their collective horns. They shrieked when they were denied passage across the feet water. Open, feet water, they cried. I cannot, replied the feet water. Open, wooden beam. I can't, said the beam. Cake, dear cake of spit and blood, open the door. I can't, cried the cake. I have been torn apart and devoured. The witches knew that this must be the work of the spirit of the well. They each cried and cursed before flying back to Schleidnamon, and neither woman nor household was ever disturbed again. The End Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Tired of tuning into negative news? Well, get your week off to the right start with the Happy Broadcast. Let's help you focus on the positive things happening in our world. Each episode will feature positive news, some mental health tips, and we'll hear from our Happy Broadcast community about what makes them happy. The podcast is hosted by me, Amy O'Dwyer, in collaboration with Mauro Gatti and his popular social channel, The Happy Broadcast. Episodes are out every Monday and you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's help spread some positivity. And that was the tale of the witch horns on Fireside and I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, there's, I've never encountered something like the horned witches like there are in this story. That was the story, the name of the story in Yeats's book on Irish fairy tales. 
I forget the, the folklorist who collected it, but it was the horned women, which was just a bit of a mouthful to say and invited too much opportunity for childish jokes. So I liked the idea of calling it witch horns instead. It was a kind of different way to name an episode of this. Naturally, what's really nice about this story is that it's entirely about women. There's, there's a lot of very folktale elements in this, and something that I don't think I've talked about much before is the personification of inanimate objects. You see that a lot in folktales. It's a bit in mythology, but I would associate it more with folklore. Um, and sometimes I tend to leave it out because it seems so sudden and random when it comes in. So it happens at the end of this story with the the feet water and the the cake and the wooden beam all being personified and all speaking to the witches when they reply, when they call. Which I suppose if the, the well has a voice, why can't the others? But we get the impression that it's a spirit, a spirit of the well, which does have a precedence in Grimm and... <clears throat> it's reminded me it reminds me of the the Cinderella story the original Cinderella story where Cinderella's mother dies and a tree is planted in her place and a tree grows in its place and she she goes to talk to this tree every day and cry by the grave of her mother and and to wish for things and it's the tree that that gives her this dress and these and sends her birds to peck out the eyes of uh, of her evil stepsisters which just always ties into the beautiful nature of the Grimm tales as they exist in their original forms. And so here we have a bit of this with the spirit of the well being this fairy godmother character to the woman of the house. What's quite noteworthy, and I don't really know quite what to think of it, but it's worth mentioning all the same, is the mountain of the Fenian women, implying that witches are Fenians, that they have an association either with Fionn McCool and his warrior band, or that they are more sectarian and more Catholic, that witches are Catholic, which I suppose would make this a Protestant fairy tale. God, that's that's just occurred to me now, and that's definitely what the case is, because it's about a rich, a rich woman from the late 18th, early 19th century in Ireland, that is nearly entirely going to be the Protestant ascendancy of the people who have money around that time. And lest we forget all of the people who adapted these folk tales for the versions that we have today, certainly T. Croft and Croker, um, Douglas Hyde, not so much, but uh, W.B. Yeats and... Lady Gregory, and a lot of these, the majority of these, would have been Protestant. W.B. Yeats, quite notoriously of all. Um, and because it was the Protestants who were the very first ones to fight for Irish independence because the Catholics were so disenfranchised and had had so much taken from them and had so few rights, like it was a thing in the penal laws, which was the system of laws in place in Ireland for a long time, that a Catholic could not inherit land, and the only way of inheriting land was by uh, converting to Protestantism. So if a man had six children, and all of his children were Catholic, they could either not be inherited, or 
instead of going to the eldest child, it would be divided evenly, which would make the land even more insignificant. But if one of the chi- children uh, converted to Protestantism, he would then inherit all of the land. So that was the one of the many horrendous attitudes towards Catholicism during uh, the British occupation and the Protestant descendancy occupation of, of Ireland. Um, and yet it was Protestants like Theobald Wolfe Tone and Robert Emmett uh, who had rights, these young, ambitious students who wanted to fight for a more egalitarian freedom in Ireland. And it was them who, so the 1798 rebellion and 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 kind of going forward, really until 1916, 1916 was considered this, that's why it was so significant as it was a Catholic, it was a Fenian uprising, which then led to a very Fenian war. So very interesting in this story that the the Catholic cause is almost demonized by personifying these witches as Fenians, because a huge amount of still is still wrapped in mystery, which the tendency is to want to try and figure out. But sometimes you need to accept and just let the you, the audience, take what you want from the story. Like we have these witches arriving and and spinning on this particular night in this particular house. There's twelve of them. We know they've come from Schlievenamon, this ancestral home, but we've no idea why they need to come here, why they need to come on this particular night and why they and what they what they are doing what they are doing at all but we have this great fenian mountain which i would like to think is very like if not the same mountain as in the the story of the piper and the puka where the puka takes a piper up on top of a hill on halloween night and they have a great party inside where there's a great number of kylock there's a great number of witches inside and the piper plays for the witches. There's always this great image of witches atop a mountain, having a great time all together. And who knew what their political political allegiances were? But the element of this story that made me revisit it, I spoke at the beginning that I had found this story a couple of years ago, and then not adapted it, and then came back to it and found something that I hadn't really seen before something that I liked that I hadn't liked before was I loved the witches I loved the idea of the 12 of them one with one horn and the 12th with 12 horns and everything in between I loved that so much it was a great image and the whole thing kind of reminded me of a very gothic hobbit opening you know with the 12 dwarves just arriving uninvited to Bilbo Baggins doorstep and I just thought this seemed like the the beginning of a great witch adventure for these these twelve horned witches. I really liked that. I liked that they were putting upon the mistress of the house. Uh, I thought all of that was great. It was just when the when the spirit of the well came involved. I just thought it seemed a little bit a little bit random, and didn't think it was particularly strong enough. But then when the spirit of the well was there a bit more. And ultimately, this is a story about mystery and the unknown and what's not told. You know, we never find out. We never find out who these witches are or why they why they have to perform this particular ritual on this particular night in this particular house. We never find out any of that. And that might be more frustrating if we if we, the audience and the character of the mistress of the house didn't know as well. But we know as much as she does. And she's our hero for this story. 
So I think that that's why it doesn't feel ultimately too unsatisfying. And when it's something like witches, you do just accept that it's quite something quite sinister and dastardly. Although the fact that they're Fenian witches does give them a, a level of complexity now, doesn't it? All that for just one little word that now then sparked that whole thought. It's exciting, though. It's exciting when I read something just there and it clicks while I'm recording live. And probably the final image I want to talk about is the cake. I love the cake. Um, this cake that the witches send the woman of the house out to make them a cake. And she's out there chanting the spirit of the well, uh, planning the attack on the witches or the defense against the witches. They obviously grow increasingly frustrated and decide they'll make a cake themselves. But because there's no water in the house, what they do is they go around to all of the still sleeping residents, which is the husband, the children and the servants, and they take blood from them. They do not kill them somehow, but they just take blood from each of them, which, hmm, I don't know if they enchant blood out of them, if they cut them. Either way, they obviously stay asleep under their enchantment, probably from their ancient rhyme, and they mix that blood with spit. I think the spit might have been my invention, just to make it all the more gross. And they mix it together, and they make a cake out of the spit and blood, which then, when the witches are out of the house, and the woman is fortifying her house against their return, she has to crumble up the cake and put it back into the mouths of all the, the sleeping residents. She has to feed her husband and her children and her servants, while they're still sleeping, blood and spit cake. Their own blood and spit cake mixed in with the blood and spit cake of everyone else in the household. So they're all eating each other's blood and it's just great. It's it's really it's a really twisted, in theme, gothic beat to this story that I really love. And with that, I think those are the main things to talk about. Yeah, like I said, it is a shorter tale, shorter than I, I would like. I usually like when the stories themselves are, you know, about 15 minutes long. This one's about 10. But I still think there was enough to it that made it a satisfying a satisfying story to tell. And these twelve witches with their twelve with their seventy-eight horns between them made for fun company to be with. So please do follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard and email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Uh, thanks so much to Patty, Alan and Connor and everyone over at Headstuff. Please do join the community at Headstuff Plus over on headstuffpodcast.com for as little as five euro a month, but you can pay whatever you want to gain access to bonus episodes and material for not just Fireside, but for all of the Headstuff podcasts. The next episode we have will be another myth. Would you believe we're back at the fear bulk? We are back all the way where we began, essentially. We began with the landing of the Tua de Danan back in episode two, uh, which mentioned the landing of the Fear Bullock. But now we're going to hear about the Fear Bullock as the fourth inhabitants of Ireland, which they were in Irish mythology, and see the battle, the first battle of Moitara, from their perspective. Uh, it was a really fun story to write. Uh, tricky, but really fun. And I really can't wait to share it with you all. Please do join me on on April 29th, which I think it will be the day after this comes out. I think this will be the last one that comes out before then for Myth in Irish Poetry, a poetry reading of uh, Mapping the Journey of Irish Poetry and Irish Mythology. I'll be telling some classic poetry, some of my own, with some songs and stories as well. 
And because it's Instagram Live, you guys can check in and you can message in if you have any questions. Uh, it might be a chance for us all to sit at the fireside together. But if you don't get a chance to tune in live, it will stay up on Instagram Live for a while at least. And I will be releasing it as a bonus episode over on Headstuff Plus. So you have that to look forward to. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.